0: So this is from Exodus 16, 1 through 30. Hear these words from the book that we love. They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Zin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And Moses said, "When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord." Then Moses said to Aaron, "Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, 'Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling." And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning dew lay around the camp. When the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each of you, as much as he can eat. You shall, take, eat, you shall each take an omer, according to the number of persons that each of you has in his tent and the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less, but when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it over till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till, till the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. "'Morning by morning they gathered it, "'each as much as they could eat, "'but when the sun grew hot, it melted. "'On the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. "'And when all the leaders of the congregation came "'and told Moses, he said to them, "'This is what the Lord has commanded. "'Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, "'holy Sabbath to the Lord. "'Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil, "'and all that is left over lay aside "'to be kept till the morning. "'So they laid it aside till the morning "'as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink.' And there were no worms in it. And Moses said, Eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you a Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you take just a moment and pray with me? Guide us, O Lord, by your word and your Holy Spirit, that in your light, We may see light in your truth, find freedom, and in your will, discover peace. God, would you meet us this morning as we've been praying already? uh, We need you. Uh, We we want to hear from you. And so as we look at your word for these few minutes, would you speak by your Holy Spirit? Would you make these scriptures come alive to us? Would you speak to us as individuals and as a community uh, that we would hear what you have to say this morning? And we pray all these things. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Thanks for getting through a little bit of a longer scripture reading. It's a fun story, so I'm excited to chat about it a little bit this morning. Uh, There was a a 2018 Atlantic article uh, that I read online uh, called The Problem with Being Perfect. The Problem with Being Perfect. And what this article was talking about is the fact that perfectionism is on the rise. There was a recent study, again, this was in 2018, it was earlier that year in 2018, a recent study of American, Canadian, and British college students. And that study found, quote, today's college students report higher levels of perfectionism than college students did during the 1990s or the early 2000s. They measured three types of perfectionism, self-oriented, or a desire to be perfect, socially prescribed, or a desire to live up to others' expectations, and other-oriented, or holding others to unrealistic standards. From 1989 to 2016, they found self-oriented perfectionism in scores increased by 10%. Socially prescribed score rose by 33%, and other-oriented perfectionism increased by 16%. So perfectionism is on the rise, especially in our college students who are being pushed And as they're coming out into the workforce, into our culture, and that shouldn't be a surprise, I don't think. Uh, We are in a culture in America that in many ways praises perfectionism. We praise when things are done right and well. And we sometimes worship successful men and women who are perfectionists. I was thinking about this this week, and the two people that jumped into my mind immediately were, one, a businessman, entrepreneur, Steve Jobs. Many of you might be watching this uh, through Apple TV on your TVs, or you have an iPad or an iPhone, or maybe you're watching on your iMac or or your MacBook Pro, whatever. But Steve Jobs was a perfectionist. He obsessed over his products. He obsessed over creating what he thought was the perfect uh, computer uh, and, and delivering that to the public. He was a perfectionist. Another one that jumped to my mind, an athlete, Kobe Bryant, passed away recently, but the stories of Kobe Bryant practicing before practice, practicing after practice, first one to get there, last one to leave. He was obsessed in many ways with perfecting the art of basketball, the game of basketball, his position and shooting. He was obsessed. He was a perfectionist. And we, our culture has praised men and women who are successful uh, in their perfectionism and seem to function at a high level with it. However, what this article discusses is that there are some major drawbacks, some major drawbacks. A constant desire to be perfect has negative consequences. See, people that are perfectionists often struggle with low self-esteem or feeling shame when they fail. Sometimes they devalue their accomplishments when they succeed. But it doesn't stop with just poor mental health, but the, the negative consequences of perfectionism also can lead to addictions. There was another uh, article on The Atlantic, a 2013 article called Alcohol as Escape from Perfectionism. It was, a, it was a long article, a really interesting article, where the author, a female, she talks about her own struggles with perfectionism as a working single mom. And she 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 talks about an interview that she has with a woman named Lisa Buckley who is the psychiatrist who heads up the women's addiction program at Toronto's University Health Network and she asks her if she she asks Leslie if she sees a pattern in the professional women that come with addictions who come to see her as patients quote she doesn't skip a beat perfectionism period And another doctor that she talks about puts it this way, who speaks about patients, quote, who look like they stepped out of vogue, perfect-looking women with perfect-looking children at the right schools, living in perfect houses, aiming for a perfect performance at work, but with eating disorders and serious substance abuse issues. The drawbacks, uh, while those are many, The drawbacks are not only to the perfectionist themselves, himself or herself, but also to external to those around them. People who live with perfectionists, whether they're a spouse or a roommate, whether it's a friend, whether it's a coworker, but people that are around perfectionists often feel criticized because of that other-oriented perfectionism that Somebody who is a perfectionist can put place on you these unrealistic expectations, and, and you get criticized. You feel criticized constantly because of that. And, and I want to be honest as, uh, as, as I'm going into this sermon this morning and pull back the curtain a little bit. Um, As many of you know, this series is based on a a book called Better Together by a pastor named Rusty George. And so this, the the whole, each sermon in this series, Get Off Your Island, is based on a chapter of the book. Today we're talking about chapter 9, and I did not want to preach this chapter. So those of you that know me well might know why. But when we originally mapped out this series. Jim was supposed to preach on this last week, uh, but we had a guest preacher a couple weeks ago, and it shifted the whole schedule down one, and I got stuck with it, and I did not want to preach it, and I was not excited when that happened, and the reason is because I am a perfectionist. Hello, my name is Eric. I'm a perfectionist. If you're into uh, the, the different personality type things on the Enneagram, I'm a one. If you're into strength finders, three out of my top five themes are consistency, analytical, and discipline. What does that mean? That means that I really like routines and rules and procedures and structure. And I feel that I need to do everything perfectly all the time. Both in my personal life and also in my professional life, it also means on a negative side that I too struggle with having a harsh inner critic that beats me up when i fail in that book rusty george he mentions that there are three specific things that define someone who's a perfectionist he also uses the word control freak so we're going to talk about control and perfectionism both a little bit but he says these are the three things that define a perfectionist or a control freak one everything i do must be perfect two everyone else must be perfect three conditions must always be perfect And you may not be a hardcore perfectionist uh, like I am, or like some of these other folks I've mentioned Steve Jobs, Kobe Bryant, whoever are but isn't it true that we all like to be in control of ourselves, to be in control of others to some degree, to be in control of our circumstances to some degree? And isn't it true that we all believe some version of I will be happy? happier, I will be healthier, I will be more satisfied, I will be less stressed, whatever, 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 when fill in the blank is better, or when fill in the blank is perfect. I think we all can struggle with that mentality from time to time. That's a perfectionist tendency, a little bit of a control freak tendency. And as followers of Jesus, I think this mentality can creep into our spiritual lives as well. We believe that I will experience God more powerfully when I finally fill in the blank. I will be more like Jesus when he or she or they are finally fill in the blank. I will serve my neighbors. I will do all these things. I will be more like Jesus in, in, in active ways when conditions are finally fill in the blank. But the scriptures teach that this isn't true. That needing all these things to be perfect in order to be like Jesus, in order to serve our neighbors, in order to whatever, don't have to be perfect. The, it actually teaches, in many ways, that the opposite is true. And that's what I want to talk about for a few minutes here this morning. So two parts. First, really quickly, I want to look at the passage and show you how bread, this manna from heaven, was actually a way for God a means by which he was trying to free Israel from their own need for control and perfectionism. And second, I want to talk a little bit more, a little bit longer, about how community, which is the whole topic of this whole series, that community, relationships with other people, is God's means to free us from perfectionism and from our need for control. So bread and community. It's the title of the sermon. So bread first. Let's talk for just a second. So this story takes place exactly one month after the exodus from Egypt began. Israel, God's ancient people, has crossed through the Red Sea. They're traveling south down the the Sinai Peninsula. They turn inland and they're beginning to go deeper and deeper into the wilderness. Uh, You can imagine if you put yourself in their situation, there's this huge horde of people Men, women, you know, parents, kids, there's their flocks that are all pushing into the wilderness and exactly a month after they've left, they've left the Red Sea behind, maybe more fertile ground behind, and and their food supplies are starting to run low. They're starting to panic a little bit. And you may have noticed in the passage that I read, the term grumble appears a lot in the first part of the passage. They're beginning to grumble. They're, be, they're, they're upset, and they're beginning to panic a little bit. And they want to solve this problem. It's a legitimate problem. Food, it's a legitimate physical need. But they want to solve this problem their own way, which is, hey, let's go back to Egypt. They were slaves there, but here in the wilderness, it seems better. Hey, at least we had food to eat let's go back. But God provides an unexpected solution to this problem. He provides them this manna, this bread from heaven. And specifically the part about it that I want you to notice is this schedule for gathering. The reason that I read this super long passage and not just a little portion of it is because I wanted you to hear that schedule for gathering, that God gave a very specific way that they were allowed and able to collect this bread, which pushed against their ability to control the situation. It pushed against their ability to be perfectionists and to perfect things and make it all fit and be neat. So they had to go out daily. Every morning, the bread appeared. And they had to go out and gather, but they could only gather enough for one day. They couldn't gather more. Some of them tried, and it molded. It stank. It was gross the next day. They had to do it God's way. And then on the seventh day, or the sixth day, I should say, for the seventh day, they were able to collect a double portion. And it didn't spoil. But then on the seventh day, there was none. And there was this daily and weekly rhythm that God set up that for an agrarian people, a people that were used to farming and shepherding, it made no sense. They were used to, hey, harvest happens once a year, twice a year, whatever the crop is. You go and you gather as much as possible. You gather everything. You store it in barns. You pack it away. But God was saying, no, that's not the way this is going to happen. This is going to happen my way. And I want you to let go of control. I want you to let go of those things. He's forcing his people to trust him. And the loopholes that they try that I just mentioned, they all fail miserably. God doesn't allow them to be independent. He doesn't allow them to be self-sufficient, to be in control. But he provides this unexpected means. And to say as well, he provides this unexpected means when Moses and Aaron are not perfect leaders. When the people are not perfect people, when the conditions are also less than perfect, God provides this means to Push against that perfectionism, to push against that need for control. And I think for us, as modern people living here, 21st century in South Jersey or wherever you're joining us from, we also have a serious need. Specifically, I want to talk a little bit about the serious spiritual need that we have. As somebody who is a follower of Christ, we need to be freed from the power of sin in our lives. We, we've already, if you're, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you've confessed your sins and you believe in Jesus for salvation, you have already been rescued from the penalty of sin, but the presence of sin, it lingers within us. It remains. And many times we want to find a way to become better Christians in our own way, our own methods. And many of those methods are in isolation. Many of those methods are alone. If I just read this book, if I just listen to more sermons, if I pray more, if I read my Bible more, and all those are good things. Those spiritual disciplines are all good things. But none of those work only when we're alone, only when we're in isolation. But God gives us, again, an unexpected solution to our problem, which is other people. Other people. Community. The second point, community. See, we don't become more Christ-like by fixing ourselves or by manipulating others or by optimizing our conditions, our situations. Instead, we become more like Jesus as imperfect people when we engage with, in relationships with other imperfect people in challenging and imperfect situations. It goes against all the perfectionism. It goes against all of that need for control, but that's the way that God has designed it. I mentioned Rusty George's book uh, a minute ago. Here's a quote from him from that chapter. The process of growing spiritual fruit is fortunately not dependent upon perfection, how perfect we are, how perfect the community of people around us is, or how perfect circumstances are. All that's needed is the Holy Spirit's power working in us And through our interactions with others. There's a lot of different things that we do as a community. You know, here at Liberty Church, we have small groups, we we serve together, we do a lot of things together. There's a lot of activities that, with your family or with friends, you can do. And then, in many of those different activities, I think God can push on and work on and seek to, through those things, seek to heal us from our perfectionism, but there's one that I want to focus on for a minute here this morning that I think is interesting. God gave the Israelites a supernatural food to do that, but also for us, in a very natural way with food, in our normal life, God can seek to heal us from this perfectionism, and that's when we share a meal with other people. Now, I know that sounds a little bit weird, but think think about this with me for just a second. How can sharing a meal, such a simple activity, something that we do every day, three times a day for for most of us, some people more, some people less, how does that help us? How does that free us from our need to control and perfectionism? You know, when we cook food for other people, what are we doing? We're actually being vulnerable, right? Right. We're we're creating something that we're offering to somebody else, and we're opening ourselves up to for our mistakes potentially. You know, I burn the chicken to be made public. We're we're opening ourselves up to judgment potentially from other people. And on the flip side, when you eat somebody else's food that they've cooked and you're eating that food together, uh, you you have you you are giving up control, right? I have no idea what this food is going to taste like. I didn't get a chance to cook it. I don't know if they put enough salt in it or whatever. And even more so if you go over to somebody's house to share a meal. You're giving up control of everything. You don't have control of the surroundings, the lighting, the music. You don't have control of when dinner's going to be ready, what time you're going to leave. I think we've all been to people's houses before where they say, hey, yeah, dinner's at 7. And you show up at 7, they haven't even started cooking. And then dinner's ready at 8. And then you're not home until after 10, and you're like, oh my gosh, it's, it, it, you're out of control when you go over to somebody else's house. You're, you're opening yourself up to that. You, you have to let go of control, you have to let go of your perfectionism. But those meals give us the opportunity to experience the gospel when. We offer something and other people show us love and acceptance back despite maybe it's not perfect. Maybe you did miss an ingredient. Maybe you did burn the chicken. And on the other side, we have the opportunity to then display the gospel, to display the grace of Jesus. If they're the ones who forgot the ingredient or burned the chicken, and you can show them love and acceptance despite their performance, even if it's not perfect. There's another way that meals free us from the need to control and perfectionism and Rusty George hinted at that in the quote that I just read a second ago and that's when a shared meal with somebody, Thanksgiving's coming up this week, so maybe just picture Thanksgiving meals of old with your family or extended family. Meals sometimes when you're at the dinner table can go a little sideways. They can get a little crazy. Things can go off the rails and in those moments, it's an opportunity for us as imperfect people with imperfect people in an imperfect situation when things start to go crazy, it's an opportunity for us to display the fruit of the Spirit. It's an opportunity to display the fruit of the Spirit. I'm not going to read the whole passage, but you can find these in Galatians chapter 5. And I preached on this a few years ago, three years ago in 2017. There was something I noticed about this passage I thought it was really interesting, but let me read this first. That Paul, in this passage, he contrasts the works of the flesh with the fruits of the spirit. Listen to these. The works of the flesh are sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. But, on the other hand, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. What's interesting about those two lists is that the works of the flesh, many of those, not all, but most, can be done in isolation. They can be done alone. But the fruit of the Spirit, really none of them except for maybe joy can be done alone. It requires other people To display those things. You cannot display love by yourself. You cannot display peace, patience, kindness by yourself. Other people have to be a part of the equation, and I think that's by God's design that we cannot be in isolation and seek to love others as he calls us to. Now, I know I'm talking about community. I'm talking about sharing meals together, and you might be thinking, hey, Eric, that sounds great. Have you ever heard of a global pandemic? I have. And so I know in this season where COVID-19 is a reality, an ever-present reality, that we're not gathering as much for meals with other people. I know that. Maybe we're not gathering at all, especially now that the weather's getting colder and pushing us back indoors. But if you live with somebody, whether that's a roommate, your family, if you have kids— you still have the opportunity to eat with other people and for that same rhythm, that same imperfect people with other imperfect people, imperfect situation scenario to happen. So if you're a parent, this is a daily thing. So I have a toddler, a two-year-old daughter, Olivia, and there are so many occasions. Olivia, I know you're watching with mommy. Hi, I'm sorry. I'm about to tell a story about you. I know there have been so many occasions in the last seven months, especially if we spent more time together as a family, where Carrie is exhausted from the work day, I'm exhausted from the work day, we've cooked a dinner, we're really excited about it, it's a, it's a meal we love. We know it's gonna be good, we've cooked it a hundred times, whatever. You know, it's done, it's ready. We put the food on the plates, we put the plates on the table, you know, we pour the glass of wine or whatever, we put that on the table. You're starving. You sit down. You're just, oh, here it comes. been looking forward to this all day. This got me through the whole day. I'm so excited. And like 15 seconds after we say grace, all hell breaks loose, right? Olivia is throwing her fork. She's pushing away from the table. She's screaming she's done. She's ripping her bib off. She's throwing it. There's rice flying. Our dog's panicking because there's free food everywhere. And it just goes bonkers. It goes sideways so fast. And I'll be honest, trying to be honest in this sermon as a perfectionist, I don't always react well in those situations. So I'm not claiming that I do. But those are exactly the types of situations that I think God providentially puts in my life to try to heal me from my perfectionism, to try to heal me from my need for control. God is using those moments to teach me to be more like Jesus. It's not always fun. It's hard, but it's good. It's unexpected, but it's perfect. It's exactly what I need. It's exactly what we need as control freaks to be in a situation where we're totally out of control, to trust God, and to seek to display the fruit of the Spirit, to show grace, to receive grace. Jesus gives us the the perfect example of this. Of course, Jesus would do such a thing, perfect human being, lived a perfect life, but he gives us the perfect example of this at the last supper. This is the last meal that Jesus is sitting down to eat with his disciples before he goes to be crucified as an innocent man. He knows this is going to happen. You can imagine he's been looking forward to this for a long time. He's got these 12 specifically men that have been following him around for three years, and this is his last meal with them. He shows up at the meal. Think about it. You look in John chapter 13, there's no one there to wash their feet, which was customary. So Jesus does it himself. There's a traitor at the table, Judas Iscariot, who right after that dinner is going to go out and help the Roman authorities and the Jewish leaders arrest Jesus. There's a traitor there. And in the middle of the meal, Peter, who is always quick to speak, says some crazy things. Jesus has to rebuke him and reprimand him and correct him in the middle of this meal. It's, it's such an interesting situation if you think about it. One last time, Rusty George from the book Better Together, talking about this scene, this is what he says. This meal was far from perfect. The conditions weren't perfect, and other than Jesus, the participants weren't perfect, yet we're still talking about it today Because it's at this table that we see Jesus modeling love and gentleness with his disciples. He has joy and peace, even though the cross is in sight. He is patient and faithful with God's plan for his suffering. He is kind, good, and self-controlled, even to those who are about to betray and deny him. In a situation where the people are imperfect— Things are a little out of control. It's not exactly maybe all that you would hope for in your last meal. Jesus is able to display the fruit of the Spirit perfectly in that situation. It's important, though, before we close, to note that Jesus not only gives us a perfect example, but he is the one that actually makes freedom from our control, freedom from our perfection, possible impossible in the first place. In John chapter 6, he says, I am the bread of life. That through his death and resurrection, Jesus is the one who frees us from the power of sin. And through his spirit, he nourishes us and strengthens us so that we can be healed from the power and the presence of sin. He is the true and better bread from heaven. Jesus is the manna, but in the fullest and most perfect way. And it's only through him, only because of him, that in an imperfect situation, we can let go of control. That in an imperfect situation, we can seek to display the fruit of the Spirit, to become more like him in community. And so Liberty Church would let's look to Jesus. Let's find freedom and healing from our perfectionism. Let's let go of our need for control with each other in community. It's the only way we can do it. The name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey, could that have been the best sermon ever? Eh, the odds are strongly not in its favor. Still, thanks for listening, and be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. You can also check out our version of a preaching after party, the Post Sunday Blues, a preaching postmortem, on the same podcast feed, where you can go backstage with the sermon. Live, speak, and serve at you later.